for us, given this the title, uh, Praising Him Who Redeems Us from the Lowest Depths. I think actually that was the little title that uh, Andrew Bonner uh, gave to this psalm in his interesting little commentary on the psalms. And if you haven't got it, I can recommend it, as long as you remember he's, he's got a different view of the end times than we would believe is true for the scriptures, but he's got a wonderful appreciation of Christ and his church in the Psalms, praising him who redeems from the lowest depths. Or we could think of it a little bit more uh, up-to-date in language by simply saying this psalm is telling us to praise God when it's tough. And if we're honest, praising the Lord isn't always easy. We know we should. We're very aware of psalms like this, other psalms with this direction for us. We're aware of the, uh, the direction of 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18. Give thanks in all circumstances for the, this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. But when it comes to our experience, we often find that our present circumstances can sometimes be so overwhelming that the thought of praising the Lord is very difficult. Or perhaps it's the prospects of the future. And as we ponder those and reflect on those and ruminate on those, they can, in a great sense, mute us and our, and our praise falls silent. Yet here is another psalm, and this one now begins and ends with this direct command of God. It's an imperative in the original language, this direction to praise the Lord. You'll see that it connects with the previous Psalms of your Bible open uh, in this little section. A number of them begin with this direction to praise the Lord. And it's important for us to set this Psalm in its setting where it appears in the Psalter. They're not random, a random collection of songs. God not only uh, was overseeing the, the writing of these songs, but he was also overseeing how they were collated, how they were put together. And this psalm occurs in Book 5, a collection of psalms uh, put together from songs in the past, mostly, and the people of God singing as they returned from the land of exile to the promised land. And the circumstances were difficult. There were few of them. The prospects didn't look great for them. How would they survive going back? Would it be the same as it had been before? They'll soon find it, it wouldn't be. They had no king. How would they cope? Never mind how would they praise God. And sometimes in the Christian life, we can also ask, well, how would we cope? How, could, how would we continue to praise God? Well, Psalm 113 helps us to praise God when it's tough. You will know, I'm sure, uh, this is the first psalm of a little mini Psalter at this point. The, the psalm, uh, as well as God governing the, uh, the com compiling of these psalms and the collating of the psalms, very often he had little groups of them put together. And Psalm 113 is the beginning of a little group uh, from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. Uh, it was called the Egyptian Hallel. Hallel simply means to praise. And they were psalms that were sung at Passover to remember the Exodus. 
Uh, we'll see that when we come particularly to Psalm 114. It's the only one really that speaks of the Exodus directly. But all of these Psalms were sung around Passover time to remember the Exodus. Two of, the, of these Psalms and the Hallel were sung before they had the Passover and the remainder of, the, of these Psalms in this selection were sung after they had celebrated the Passover. And that's important for us because we know that these were therefore the last songs that Jesus Christ sang on the night before he died. We read it there in Matthew chapter 26 and uh, when they had sung a, a hymn, they went out. Uh, the word hymn in the original there just simply means a song of praise. And the songs of praise that they had were exclusively the Psalms. And at this moment, it was this collection of Psalms that Jesus Christ was singing before he goes out uh, in a few hours to die on the cross. How tough things were for him at that moment. And how difficult things would continue and increasingly be for him in the hours ahead. He is about to bear the burden of the sins of all his elect. He's about to be mistreated. He's about to be falsely accused. He's about to be abandoned by his friends. He's about to face the dereliction of his heavenly father. And with all of that in his mind, he's singing this psalm. And in his human nature, he's finding strength to finish his task. And it's as we see what this song must have meant for Jesus that we'll be blessed in our troubles, in our tough patches, and unable to praise the Lord. So keep this in your mind as, as we look at all of these Psalms in the Hallel. These were the songs of our dying Saviour. I was at a colleague's funeral, a, a colleague's father's funeral yesterday. And it was very moving that uh, in the uh, little piece before the service of telling about the gentleman's life he, he loved singing and he loved his family to sing and his family had special songs and even in his dying day the family gathered to sing these special songs can you imagine that family ever singing those songs again without thinking about their father impossible well when we sing these songs when we think about these songs the primary thought in our mind should be these were the songs that my Saviour was singing as he went to lay down his life for me. The psalm was a very simple structure. In verses 1 to 3, there's the call or the command or the summons, whatever you like, to praise God. And then in the, in the latter part of the psalm, from verses 4 to 9, there is the reason or the cause of our praise. And uh, going to actually look at this psalm backwards this evening. Um, look at the latter part of it first, uh, so that we'd be ready to sing this and desiring to praise him. So just two things we want to look at this, and remember we're looking at the latter part first, and then we come to the first three verses in the second part, and I'd probably say more about the first bit. And the first bit of this uh, that I want to look at, verses four to nine, we could probably sum up with two words, great grace. Great grace. Imagine now for a moment 
the beleaguered returning exiles singing this psalm. They're back in the promised land and things are very difficult. Their thoughts of the future are full of their fears and their worries. In some ways we could say that the returning exiles were at rock bottom. They have no temple, they have no king, they have nothing really by way of this world. How could they ever praise the Lord? And God in heaven knew the difficulty for his people. So he provided this wonderful stimulant to stir up and to energize their and our praise. And the stimulant basically of the latter part of this psalm is the truth about God. Because that's the only thing powerful enough to stir our hearts to praise the Lord. Verse 4. The Lord is high above all the nations and his glory above the heavens. Now the psalmist isn't giving us some coordinates in outer space about finding God. You've got to find a rocket. Go up above the heavens and don't stop. Uh, Sorry, go up above the nations. Don't stop. Keep on going right on above the heavens. Turn left at the next planet and you'll find God's home. It's picture language. It's figurative speech. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. It's a reminder to his people that their God is over everything, that their God is ruling over everything and in charge of everything. That was an encouraging truth for the returning exiles. The events of their life were not random. God was in control of their going back and all that was happening. And what an encouragement these words would have been for the Lord Jesus Christ. On the night before he dies, we could say in his his human nature, he's at the point nearly of being in rock bottom circumstances. And yet here he's reminding himself as he sang these words of praise to his father that he was high above all. That his father was in charge of everything that was going on in his life at this difficult time. And that's the blessing for the Christian. You see, ultimately the one now who is high above all the the nations and whose glory is above the heavens is Jesus Christ, the God-man, now exalted and glorified. And he's ruling and reigning over everything. This statement in verse 4 actually was not only to remind them of the greatness of God being over everything, but it was also uh, a reminder that their God was the only God. You remember how around about the the Old Testament people of God, there were were nations who were worshipping lots of other gods, and one of the the familiar gods was the god Ra, uh, the god of the sun. That was the greatness of the Egyptians' god. He was right up there in the sky, and God saying, Actually, I'm far beyond that. I'm exalted over everything. His glory is above the heavens. Is it any wonder the psalmist then says in verse 5, Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high? And that's what the psalmist is emphasizing there, that, the, that God is seated on high. 
That's a wonderful, stimulating truth, isn't it? That stirs our prayers. But actually, that's not the psalmist's big point. It's a good point, an important point, that God's the only true God there is, that he's over everything and ruling everything. But that's but the backdrop for an even more awesome revelation of God about himself. Look at verse 5 again. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high? Here it comes. Here's the punchline now in verse 6. Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. And the people of God were to have this uh, understanding of their God. That he, although he was so high and so exalted... And he looked down and he took pity and he was full of awesome grace and mercy. He was high above, yes, but he was not remote. Actually, the Good News translation gets this spot on. It's better than the ESV here. Don't usually say that. It translated this way, verse 6. Who bends down to see the heavens and the earth. That's actually really good translation. Here's this great exalted God. And he's full of grace and his mercy. And he's bending right down to the heavens and the earth with interest and love and compassion. Imagine an earthly ruler that everybody revered. Oh, they were such a great king, such a great ruler. But they were interested then in the needs of their vulnerable subjects. That would make them an even more loved and praiseworthy ruler. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. The greatness that the psalmist wants to consider is the stooping down greatness of God. He's the one who stoops down to the lowest depths And if you think of our Lord Jesus Christ singing this psalm about his God and his Father, that he's been reminded in his human nature of his great and glorious Father in heaven, highly exalted, but at the same time he bends down to the lowest depths to be with his people and help his people. And what a picture for us of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the ultimate bending down of God's great grace was his his eternal son taking our form yet without sin and living and dying for us. You remember him actually when he walked upon this earth. We could see in his life the great stooping down of the tender mercy of God. Think of all the incidents uh, in the Gospels that recorded for us. They're to show us not only the greatness of our Savior, high and exalted, but the great stooping down. Here's a woman, and she's been burdened and broken for 12 years, given everything she has. And she comes and she touches the hem of his garment. Oh, he's highly exalted, just a touch, and she's healed. But he stoops right down and said, who touched me? Because he loves her. And wants her life forever changed. And at the very same time there's this heartbroken father with his little girl. 
And Jesus Christ is reaching right down. The psalmist is saying, you'll praise God when you realize not only that he's highly exalted, but that the, that the greatness of God that is in his grace, he reaches right down. And so what we have then in verses 7 to 9 is backing up this great big principle that the psalmist is saying about the great stooping down of God. He gives two vivid illustrations. In verse 7 and 8, there's the first illustration. He raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and with the princes of his people. Maybe you've seen some of these people on television in in some documentary about India, somewhere like that. And uh, they just live on the very edge of society and nobody's interested in them. And they spend all their days scavenging in in the refuge tip amongst the ashes. They've got nothing. They're, they're just searching for another scrap of food. They live in the ash heap. The psalmist is saying that this great stooping down God is an eye for the very lowest of all. Right down to the lowest depths. There, there, there's no rung further down the ladder than someone who, who, who is living and working in the ash heap. In the dust. And the psalmist is, is picturing this wonderful grace and mercy of God. And what a help to Jesus Christ. Hours after he's, he, he has sung this song, he is in the deepest ash heap imaginable. On the cross, bearing the sins of many. And he's fueled his heart to finish that work was as he sang this, he he was reminded in his human nature that his father stooped right down to the ash heap and raised up his own. And then in verse 9, there's another illustration. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Of course, there are many examples in the Bible that fit this picture, aren't there? Many examples of the barren woman, Sarah, Rebecca, uh, Hannah, uh, Manoah, Elizabeth. And this phrase here in verse, verse 9 is straight out of Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2, verse 8. A barren woman. It's a great heartache today for some. But in Bible times, It was not only all of that emotional heartache, but there was also the reality of economic destitution. No one to provide for you. A life of utter poverty in days to come. And here's this picture of God at work in this barrenness and making a joyous mother It's the stooping down grace of God. And here's our Savior. And he was singing these words in the night before he died to his God and his Father in heaven. A few hours afterwards, he would be in the most barren 
bleak situation that anyone would, has ever been in. Bearing the sins of many. Dying as a sinner. Though he had no sin of his own. These sinners, he bore all our sin and the wrath of God falling upon him. But he sung these words and he's been reminded that his father in heaven stoops right down and brings life out of the barrenness. And the barrenness of the cross would one day burst into life with many sons and daughters for Jesus Christ. And you hear him singing these words. Singing these words, no doubt with tears in his eyes, knowing the barrenness that was ahead for him. But singing them with expectation too. Filled with hope and filled with optimism. And because of him, he can come to our lowest, most barren, ash heap-like circumstances. And he can stoop right down change them could be the barrenness of someone's spiritual life they're without God and without hope and this great saving God stoops right down to bring life it could be the life of the Christian and uh, there's a spiritual barrenness about our lives it's not what we ought to be and here's this great gracious highly exalted God who stoops right down into the barrenness into the situation that is humanly speaking impossible and brings life. Little congregations of God's people that feel they're on the ash heap, that there's not much sign of life and it's barren. And here's this great stooping down God that can raise life and joy. Great grace. Secondly in this psalm, we're reminded of life-shaping praise. When we think of the stooping down greatness of God, we want to sing this song, don't we? We're saying in our hearts, well, hope he finishes soon, that we can just sing this now in thankfulness to God. But let me tease out for you the first three verses a little, because we'll all want to praise him in a fuller way. I think there are at least three things we could note here about this call to praise God in the opening three verses. Will you note, first of all, in this life-shaping praise that it's focused praise. And it's focused in two ways. There's the focus in a, in a general sort of way that here is this call uh, to make the Lord the focus of our lives. Here is this reminder at the start and the end of this song to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. <coughs> it's a song that goes out to all human beings uh, to change the whole focus of our lives and make the living God our praise. You know that we are, every human being is a worshipper. We, we live in a world of worshippers. Everybody in Belfast has been worshipping today. That's how, we, that's how we're made. That's how we're wired to worship. And here's, the, here's this God and this song. And he's saying to men and women in a stooping down grace. I made you for something great and glorious. I made you to praise me, the living God. 
didn't make you to hold up your stuff or your hobby as the, as the thing that uh, preoccupied you. I made you for worshipping God. And he's made that possible through his son, Jesus Christ. But there's a challenge also here for, for the Christian because it says in the second line, Praise, O servants of the Lord. <clears throat> Every Christian's a servant of God. And here's this reminder of the focus of our lives. Lives of praising the Lord. Now, not in a some sort of demented little chant. Maybe you've met sometimes people and they... It seems as if they have to tag on these three little words onto every little detail of conversation. Praise the Lord. Uh, some I'm sure do it genuinely. But that's not what the psalmist is telling us here. Just to have some little line that we throw out in situations. It's a call to keep our eye on Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. It's focused praise. And there's another dimension of this focus. If you look just at, at your Bible there, you'll notice in these first three lines, it's repeated, the Lord's name in capitals. You, you know this truth, I remind you of it, and a slightly different twist to it in a moment as well. It's that great uh, Hebrew four-letter name of God. We transliterate it into into God's name, Yahweh. It's from the Hebrew verb to be or I am. And yes, here's a call to reflect on this great I am God. Uh, we think of his self-existence. We think of his self-sufficiency, the I am. We think of his, uh, that he's eternal. We worship and praise him that he's unchanging with this truth. But there's more. In this threefold repetition to praise the name of the Lord. You remember where this name uh, Lord was first given. It was given to Moses, you remember, when he was to go to Pharaoh and ask that the, that the people of Israel be allowed to go out into the wilderness to offer sacrifice. And, and Moses was told that it would be the, this, I will be with you. This I am would be with you. And it's that dimension of this truth that's, that we're being reminded about in this psalm. When God revealed this name of himself, it was as if he was promising Moses, I'm going to be with you, Moses. You can go and speak to Pharaoh. And that's what this whole psalm has been saying. Here is this great exalted God and he stoops right down and he says to his people, I'll be with you. And isn't that our Saviour, Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, God with us, stooping right down, coming to us in the ash heap of our lives and in our barrenness and saying, I've made you mine and I'm never going to leave you. Imagine if the great... Queen Victoria of previous centuries, not only Queen of these islands, but uh, Empress of India. Imagine that there were days in her life when she put on over the top of her royal robes servants' clothes and headed out when she was staying up at Balmoral, out across the moors, 
to some little crofter's cottage and went into their little hovel and served them their food every day and tidied up their little croft. And that, imagine that was their practice every day. Well, those crofters would think very highly of her, this great empress, and she stooped right down to be with us. Well, we have so much more in Jesus Christ. He came right to our hovel of our sinful world and took our form and died and rose again. And all who trust him, he says, I'll never leave you. There's focused praise. Secondly here, there's continual praise. It says in verse 2, Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. God just doesn't want uh, to be worshipped at one moment in history. He wants our praise now. He wants our praise tomorrow. And he wants, our, he wants his name praised forevermore. And it's as we think of this nature of this stooping down God that our hearts are drawn to praise him right now. From this time forth and forevermore. That's an interesting desire of God, isn't it? That his name would be praised forevermore. And it's a helpful little direction for us. Uh, we only get a short time of being part of this earthly praise team. Just the number of our days on earth. But we've got this great commission of God that we pass on this great baton to our children and our grandchildren that there might evermore be this chorus of praise to God in heaven. Our calling is to be praise makers for Jesus Christ, to pass on this glorious stooping down grace of God to a generation even yet unborn. Our work is great and lasts far beyond our days. There's continual praise. And finally here in this life-shaping praise, there's worldwide praise. In verse 3, the psalmist says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord, the stooping down God, is to be praised. And that's our mission field. This little patch, yes, but to all of the corners of the earth, because God wants his name to be praised from the rising of the sun to its setting. In a few weeks' time, God willing, we'll sit together at the Lord's table. And when we do, will you remember this psalm that our Saviour sat at, at his table the night before he died, celebrating the Passover. And he was ready for that final stooping down of giving his life. And it's as we remember that stooping down that we'll be lifted up to praise him with all of our hearts. Well, let's praise him together as we turn to these wonderful words. You'll hear the voices of your brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in the faith. That's a great blessing. But listen for another 
unspoken voice. It's the voice of our Saviour singing these words. Finding strength to finish his work. And for that, we ever praise him. Let's worship him together. Oh, praise the Lord who served the loyal that in this week you go with us that you delight to be near to your people ready to help them ready to give them strength for all of the avenues of life and we pray that whatever our circumstances we be enabled to praise the Lord the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with you all Amen. Oh,